0: Well, good morning. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you are new at the church this morning? I'm the only one here. Okay. Two of us. All right. Well, I heard that it's such a good church that I came from Fletcher, North Carolina, to be with you all. And I'm learning a lot about the South there. Words that thank you, words that end in A, you put an R on the end. We have tuna salad. You know, you have tuna salad out here. So I'm learning a little bit about the South. Turn in your Bibles or open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And we have a little bit of feedback up here. Is it possible to turn that down a bit? Okay, Matthew, chapter 5. That's much better, isn't it? You know, I was so surprised. I spent a couple of nights with uh, uh, Florian and Lumi. And when I first got there, I, he looks just like Cary Grant, doesn't he? No, not Cary Grant, but uh, Sean Connery. If you take a glance at him, I, he could be his double. And so I thought Did maybe Sean... You say that? What's that? Did he pay you? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I encourage you that this hour just to let God love you. You know, sometimes we just need to receive. You know, we're so busy trying to please the Lord, but if you can fathom this for a moment, God loves you as you are, okay? You don't have to do anything more to be loved by God. Isn't that great news? I mean, if you're a rascal like me, that's wonderful news. But God loves me just as I am. You know, He sent His Son to die for me, and you can't improve upon your salvation, okay? When you get to heaven, you'll be in line like everybody else. You may do good on earth, but it doesn't mean you get a better spot, okay, in line. We're all going to make it through the pearly gates, right? So you just be encouraged today. I want you to be at rest. God's going to do a great work in your life because He loves you. And you can expect Him to do that. Do you believe that? You can anticipate He will do that. I'm very convinced of that. Father, thank you for this gorgeous Southern California day. And Lord, I doubt that the weather was ever this nice at the Sea of Galilee. Lord, I thank you for the place that you have put us today to worship you. And Ladies and gentlemen, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today, whatever it is that's troubling your heart, just give it over to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. So at this moment in time, just let it go. And let God love you. Let Him take care of those things that trouble you. Okay? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to do 12 verses. And uh, you probably need to do this because whenever I teach for about 4 hours or more, it's good to loosen up. Okay? So, you need to loosen up. We're in a section that's called the Beatitudes. Welcome to the Beatitudes. The Bible teaches us, according to the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 28, that in Him we live, we move, and we have our being. Now, to me as a Christian, I want to know, what does that look like? How do I know that I'm on target in Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is the Beatitudes. Okay? These are beautiful features that will be seen by God and others as you walk with Jesus Christ. They're all in the first 12 verses. Okay, These are your light and salt. Of Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 and 14 in many respects which are not hidden from God's eyes these gems are what the world sees as you walk in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation in Philippians chapter 2 these things will undeniably be you in Christ the Beatitudes working in you they're just as priceless as your life in Jesus Christ and uh, though the world doesn't value these things. And these traits that we're going to look at today, I think there's eight of them or maybe 42 or something like that. But these eight traits that we're going to look today, at today, I don't want you to be ashamed of if they define you. There's something to be glad that God has done in your heart. So let's tune in. Verse 1, let's look at the setting. And seeing the multitudes, he, capital H, that means that the last person mentioned in the prior verses, we can assume that that's Jesus. Because if you look at verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. So, the way the English language works, when you have a capital H, like the way Matthew chapter 5 starts, it refers to the last person talked about so we know it to be Jesus. It's not Peter. It's not Andrew. It's not James. It's Jesus. So, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. It appears that some of the people, not just the 12, are within earshot of what Jesus is teaching here. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 17 says that many disciples are with him. There could be 70 here with him up top on the mountain in the first verse. But the people are thunderstruck. By the time Jesus is done teaching in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 28, when he's done with this section of scripture, the people just walk away. They're blown away. Why? Because he's teaching them encouraging things that are not found pretty much by teachers on earth. So it's a very good section. Verse 1 is also a very precious, curious picture of when you get alone with Jesus and he fills you up. You know, It's like your very own mount where he gets together with you. And we note also for us, in order for us to gain our Lord's attention, it requires that you turn off the earbuds, you shut off the cell phone, you know, you're not texting, you're not uh, you know, doing any that kind of stuff in order to hear from the Lord. I would encourage you to get alone with Jesus. You'd be surprised in what He has to say. My father growing up, he used to have an earphone in listening to a ball game. He'd be watching TV, watching a basketball game. And at the same time, he would have the L.A. Times opened up reading the sports section. He was an amazing man. But you don't want to do that with Jesus. You won't hear from Him. In order to gain the Lord's voice, we must get away with Him. And it takes effort. And we must let Him sit like He did in Peter's boat in Luke chapter 5 and teach from it. Teach from our business. He must have our full attention. If you go back in time in about 1451 B.C., when Moses is getting his call from God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3, it says he stopped and he turned and he looked at the bush. And if you will stop and turn to Christ today, he will speak to your heart, guaranteed. Our Lord's followers must come to him, as John chapter 4, verse 24 says, in spirit and truth, spirit and truth, believing that when you get together with the Lord, you're going to receive what he has to say. So if you've come believing that he's going to speak to your heart today, he will in your circumstance. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are in the Lord. It's guaranteed here. And this is the wonder of your time with Jesus. Of a side note, I read, don't know how true it was because I wasn't there in 1949. But when Harry Truman took his oath of office, he placed his hand on the first 11 verses in Matthew chapter 5. Four decades later, George Herbert Bush, was that his middle name? Herbert? Harry? Horatio? Or something like that. But George Bush, four decades later in 1989, he put his hand and he took the oath of office on Matthew chapter 5. So there must be something good for us there. Now we note what will occur when we get alone with Jesus. Look at verse 2. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them. And what is it he said? Look at the very first Uh, word in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Get this, the first thing out of his mouth is blessed. Okay, A cheery blessed or how happy is the man or woman in the following godly conditions or the conditions of faith. What follows are not promises but they're rather your disposition after you've been walking with Jesus Christ for a while. They're very great things. They're, They're descriptions of a person that's rebirthed or born again in order for you to receive things from the word today you have to be born again you have to come to that place in your life where you're saying lord i give my life over to you you're the one that saves me and if you haven't done that yet today i mean i could be teaching the choir am i doing that here preaching to the choir if so you should have been singing but i could be preaching to the choir but in order to receive the teachings of christ you have to be born again that means you have to shelve your own life And as Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26 says, to deny yourself, take up your cross, God's will, and follow after Jesus. It's the only way you'll hear from him. Of interest, like in Psalm 1, look at this greeting here, blessed. We know that Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man, right? And it goes on, David, for a few more verses and talks about that place where a person is happy here. God's greeting to us today is good. There are over 12 epistles in your Bible in the New Testament that say grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's good news because it means that God is not mad at any of you. He didn't wake up, you know, mad at you. Didn't have his first cup of coffee yet, so he's kind of sore at you. No, no. He hasn't taken any of you out of the book of life. The Lord loves you. And so it's grace and peace to each one of you, which means God's okay with you. God's not at war with any of you. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit agree with that. And please remember this. The writer of Hebrews was so concerned in Hebrews chapter 4 that people would not be at rest in his faith that he actually feared that people would not enter that rest of knowing that God was at peace with them. And so that's very important for us. The beauty of Matthew chapter 5, this passage, it alerts us in these first uh, 12 verses here of how do I know I'm growing? And it also testifies that Jesus is a work in you. So look for it, excuse me, <coughs> as we get into these things. So let's start off number one in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor or impoverished in spirit. Because there's a small s, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit, it means your spirit means my spirit. means our spirit. Okay? It's when I'm destitute and helpless in the knowledge that I can't do life without God. That's what that verse means. It means that I can't remedy or improve myself without God. You married people know this, don't you? <laughs> you can't remedy your marriage without Jesus Christ. You can't do it. It's allowing myself to come to Jesus. Described in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Let's compare. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 11 real quick. Let's look at the person of Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you're going to find Rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the person of Jesus there. It's when I labor and at the end of the day, I'm thrashed and I can't take any more of the world's garbage and I just throw myself to the Lord's mercy and just say, Lord, you've got to handle this. I don't know what's occurring. Been to the doctor, I've got a strange lump. Lord, I may be getting laid off. I'm not saying I have a strange lump. Well, you probably think I do, growing between my shoulders. But it's, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. And you're just at that heavy place with cares and burdens that are beyond you. It's where I make the deliberate choice of allowing Christ to meet all of my needs. And I don't fancy to zero in on my talents and my abilities. It's the opposite of pride. And the benefit is, is you're forced to the throne of God and to rely upon Him, which is a beautiful place. When we recognize this in verse 3, and we're found in this place of being poor in spirit, we notice that we've won threefold. How so? When you're poor in spirit, Psalm 51, verse 17, teaches us that God never despises you, but He'll always look at your heart when you're broken and contrite. You know, we think we need it all together sometimes, don't we? To impress people, not with God. God looks at you when you're destitute, broken, and contrite. He zeroes in on you. You have arrested his full attention. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15 says, When this poor spirit is yours, you're in a lofty place with God. Isn't that awesome? You're in a lofty place with him, and he's there to revive you. A few chapters later on, in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 12, or verse 2, the scriptures teach. That of all of the majestic things that God has done, He looks at the person with a poor contrite spirit who trembles at His Word. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't look at the person that knows Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. He doesn't look at you if you can quote a bunch of scriptures, you know, and play them back to people. No, not at all. He looks at you when you're broken and you have a poor spirit. And I'd suppose you're more likely to see miracles in most people because you rely upon God and He's doing more in your life than He probably is people that have it wired. Number two, when you're poor in spirit, you know what God's law is for, a recognition that you have to rely upon Him and not your own abilities to save you. You've got it wired when you rely upon God. Number three, you've taken a firm possession of what the kingdom of God is all about. And who provides entry. And that's Jesus Christ. I commend you today if you're of a poor spirit. You know, if you're still trying to live this thing called life. I haven't figured it out. And I've been alive a little while. Okay, (laughs) I haven't figured it out. But I know one thing for sure. That I need Jesus Christ. The childlike faith that you possess. According to Matthew 18. Permits you access and ingress into the kingdom. It's just simple. Lord, I can't do this. Without you, that's a great blessing. Don't ever let anybody put you down for your simplicity of faith where you feel like you're in a pinball machine. That dates me, doesn't it? Where you're just kind of bouncing around trying to figure things out. You have grasped that works won't get you to the kingdom. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to the disciples shortly before they would deny him, he says that there is no access to the Father except through him. It's a beautiful verse. And you've realized that self-sufficiency is of no virtue and it's of no value in the kingdom of God. And thus you ought to be happy about your impoverished spirit. Today, your prayers are like that tax collector that went into the temple to pray. He wouldn't even look up. He just smote his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a poor in spirit person. And the Lord received that man. So I'd say you're in a pretty great place today and you ought to stand up and cheer. Just wait till I'm over, done today. But you ought to stand up and cheer. If you have a poor, impoverished spirit, I salute you. You've got life wired because you're depending upon Christ. Now let's look at the second feature that Jesus brings up. Notice again, he says in verse four now, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now that's a pretty interesting verse isn't it? Those individuals who mourn, they're destitute, and it's like inwardly they're wearing sackcloth and ashes, like they're broken and in in a state of sorrow, and inside your heart is pierced. It's a realization from Romans chapter 7 verse 18 that no good thing dwells within me, and it's a realization on a daily basis that when it's all said and done at the end of the day, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 strikes you that says, man, I'm falling short of the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I feel that way. I've been saved since 1969. Can you believe that? Gas was 24 cents a gallon. And I still feel like I fall short of God's glory except for Christ. Of interest, James chapter 4, verse 9, in reference to this fourth verse here, in Matthew chapter 5, he, he encourages mourning. It's when we anguish over sins, in our own lives and with Jesus, we sorrow over the world's sins and evils and how they rejected Christ. I mean, what a picture in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, when Jesus weeps over the city. You know, I don't know about you, but this world is something to weep over. You know, it's so lost. It's so gone askew. It's weeping at what death does to people like Jesus Uh, did in John chapter 11, verse 35. He wept when he saw the crowd and how they wept over Lazarus. That's a mourning spirit there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 teaches us, Paul said that there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. When you look at your life and you say, Lord, I thought I was really growing good last year. And I look at this year and there's a deficit and you're just kind of burdened by those kind of things. You're right on target. God says that's the best place to be. And why would it be a happy state to mourn? Notice in verse 4, I like the next part, second part of the verse. For they shall be comforted. They should be comforted who mourn over their place in life. It's a far gone conclusion. Your day is coming, hang in there. You will note comfort from the God of all comfort because was it 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3? Teaches us that he's the God of all comfort. Your genuine sorrow today and your repentance over any type of sin that might be kicking around in your life is going to get God's forgiveness. The Apostle John, in his later years, he wrote to Christians, a Christian community in the Roman Empire, at the end of the first century. And you know what he told those Christians? He said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that great? I don't know where you're at today. I don't know you from Adam's apple. But some of you may have come in here today just feeling bowed down because of a past sin or a thought or something you did on the way here, an attitude, you know, or maybe last night or last week. You know what? If that's you and you're in mourning about that, God bless you. Receive God's comfort today, the forgiveness of sin of any attitude you've had, and know that the Lord loves you we got work to do, ladies and gentlemen, in this community. I mean, I think this is a cool church. How many are there here? Higher mathematics says there are three and four. Higher math says that's seven. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I mean, you're a lot better off than Jesus with his twelve disciples. I would say you're much more cooperative than those disciples. And God wants to use you to affect this community for his glory. You're at a great place today, especially if you mourn. Over your spiritual state at times when you don't see what you ought to be. This is a very encouraging verse to me. Your comfort is readily available today. And when you see Jesus according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, you're gonna take solace when you get to heaven. Okay. You're gonna take a lot of comfort because you're gonna think, Yes, I did make it. And all that worrying here on earth, whenever you messed up, you know, all the harassing fear of wondering if you'll make it there. It's going to be over. And that comfort is going to be readily available. You know your foul attitudes we have? When you get up to heaven, it's not going to matter anymore. You've made it because of your faith in Christ. And this comfort will fully be realized at Jesus' second coming in Isaiah 61, verse 2. Because the scripture teaches that God will comfort all who are mourned. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 teaches us God will wipe away all tears. In heaven, there's not going to be any death. There's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any crying and pain. Uh, So when you mourn over your sins, you're at a blessed place today. God zeroes in on you. And then the third one, verse 5, is the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now the meek are holders of the tongue, holders of the attitude, and holders of temper. Okay? Okay. And probably some of you are in that category where you're just biting your tongue where there's nothing left at times. And if somebody wanted you to speak in tongues, you couldn't because you've bitten your tongue so often. It's an interesting verse here. You're a long sufferer who's been wronged. You've turned the other cheek and you've gone the extra mile. That's what long suffering is from verse 39 and 41 in this chapter. Uh, A person, a meek person is one who's accepted the wrong. Of having been stung, but still strong, enduring the garbage. The meek are mild in temperament. And they accept a lowly position of gentleness, having been passed over. Some of you have probably been passed over for a raise or a promotion. You know, or some particular thing where you were looked over and you held your tongue. And you were meek, strong, but meek. That's who the scripture is referring to the meek your source and your disposition is Jesus Christ the last few things that i read in the verses 11 through 1128 11, through 29 jesus says to the meek today he says be in a happy place be in a happy state why though now you inherit the earth's garbage and their slander when it's all said and done the earth is yours why you've submitted yourself to the will of the father And you've not tried to really dash ahead. You've not put somebody down. You've not raced ahead to push others aside. You've accepted your lot in life. And Jesus said that there's a a great thing to that meekness. You've submitted to him. And you're going to get a great share down the road. There's an interesting verse in 1 Peter 3, verse 4 that most people don't like to look at. And it talks about a wife that has a meek and gentle spirit. If you have a meek and gentle spirit, that wins people to Christ more than quoting Bible scriptures because they watch your meek behavior. And while everybody else is freaking out and bragging, your meek disposition, it wins people, it attracts them. And they see something different that they don't see in the world. You watch the presidential debates, undoubtedly, you know, and some of the bantering and things that uh, they did back and forth. A meek person doesn't do that. Meek person doesn't your restraint will pay off in a huge bounty. If you looked in the Bible at Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, you don't have to do that now. Abraham had this nephew, Lot. He was kind of a brat. And the herdsmen were squabbling when they were there in what we call today Israel over the grazing land. And Abraham said, you know what? This place is not going to sustain us both. And he told Lot, look, you just take whatever you want and I'll go the opposite direction. The Bible says that Lot looked at the pretty lights of Sodom and Gomorrah, saw that it was a well-watered plain. He was attracted to it. And so it says that when Lot took that, very, the very next verses say that God told Abraham, lift your eyes because he was meek and God showed him a great amount of land that he was going to inherit. Psalm 37 verse 11 says, the meek will delight themselves in abundance. And that's something that you've probably given others. And His will be done on earth as it is in heaven someday. Your meek spirit will inherit the earth. And that's a great piece of real estate, isn't it? So you meek ones, hang in there, okay? You may get passed over. You put an offering on a house. You got out bid like we did. But you know, your day's coming. You're going to have a great piece of real estate. Your day's coming. See, number four, verse six, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Relevant for today, it's when you crave and you long and you thirst for what is good, what is proper, and what is just. It's when you crave for truth, when you crave for nobility, when you crave for justice, when you crave for purity, when you pray for loveliness, moral loveliness when you pray for good news and you long for it and virtue and things that are praiseworthy it's when you look at philippians chapter 4 verse 8 and you stand up and cheer because finally you found some good around you it's when your complaint that the godly man ceases that's what this verse is talking about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness when you look at the place like david did in psalm chapter 12 verse 1 he said he said Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases when you see very few people that really love God and wanting to be good neighbors and walk as they should. When your heart is like that, you're here in verse 6 in that fourth trait. It's the wonderment of uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When you lift your eyes and all you see is filth and uh, crime angers you and you observe a general trait trend of that there's none that doeth good no not one in Romans chapter 3 verse 12 and your inner being cries out for what is just what is pure you know with when you're like that um, and you hunger and thirst after righteousness when you're when you starve for what is decent and innocent in yourself and the church and the world at large it's when you don't see much love from first Corinthians 13. This type of posture here is when you stand back and you say, this is Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 coming to pass. The, the love of men and women waxing cold. And when you see that in the world and you see that there's lawlessness out there, and I suppose verse 6 could rightly be defined of having a deep passion for personal righteousness and a healthy dissatisfaction with your current self. I know that's a run-on sentence. Mrs. Ditch, my uh, high school English teacher, would have really marked me down for that one, really would have put a red check next to that. But look at chapter 18, verse 13 says, a successful man prayed that tax collector, and he said, God, be merciful to me. But note here, if this is you in verse 6, if you're one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, notice what verse 6 says, you're going to be filled. You're going to be filled. One day you will be satisfied, you'll be full, you'll be glutted to overcapacity when Jesus sets up his kingdom. That day's coming. That day's coming. And temporarily, you can be full when you look at Jesus. In a future sense, you can be full-time filled because Revelation chapter 21 tells us that there's not going to be any crime in the new heaven and new earth. The only thing will be the lake of fire that hosts evil men and women. It's quite a quite a time. It says that every tear will be tried in heaven. When your heart breaks because you hear of babies, you know, what happens to them being tormented. When you're tormented because of abortion, when you hear about genocide overseas, you know, in Africa, you're not gonna have to hear that when you get to heaven. You know, if your heart grieves today, you're indeed blessed person, a blessed person and commendable, when you long for what is good. Then in verse seven, number five, blessed are the merciful, or I like it, it's actually mercy filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. For those of you who have spent your life actively dispensing great measures of pardon, forgiveness, mercy, and compassion and empathy, you're going to find something special. Okay? When you overlook hoping all things believing all things when you look at others through the eyes of love and you refuse to see evil but rather you scrounge for good just looking at other people thinking there's got to be good some some you know some place in that art there's got to be a special place in that person when you're that type of person and you refer refuse uh, a deserved punishment you're right on track that type of disposition for you who have given so many breaks that you're broken to other people in life, when you've put pity into action because Jesus has been merciful to you, look at verse 2. You can rest and be assured today. Or look at verse 7, rather. It says, For you shall obtain mercy. What a sweet verse. It's an interesting thing when some of us think about the God of the Old Testament. We think that God was pretty angry and harsh. But when God introduces Himself To Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, the second time, when Moses says, I want to see God, God calls himself a merciful God. He says he's merciful. Your merciful conduct will be conducted and favored back to you. You're a dear man or woman of God today if you're merciful because there are not many people that are merciful, believe me, that are around. And you're going to reap what you've sown and that whirlwind is going to be sweet. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, What you reap, you sow. Okay, Or what you sow, you're going to reap. And you're going to reap mercy back. You will find in your life today and tomorrow, mercy and favor from God. Now, awesome and beautifully mysterious is the next declaration. Look with me, if you would, at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's very interesting and curious are you who are pure in heart because you manage... To live by God's power in your own life without divided interest or divided loyalties. That's what this verse teaches here. This person here in this eighth verse squanders no chance to seize the opportunity to love somebody without angle, motive, or agenda. That's a very sweet verse here, a pure-hearted person, when at times others give up. Nothing is happenstance or coincidence, to a pure-hearted person. You say, hey, God allowed this. This is a God appointment here. That's a pure-hearted person, and your heart pumps God's love, God's life, and God's spirit, no matter what condition you're in. The summary statement of your life, if you're a pure-hearted person, comes from First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and that's love from a pure heart. Notice in verse 8, to the pure in heart, Jesus says, you've nailed it. You're right on target. Look at what he says in the rest of verse 8. For they shall see God. Again, how so? Because you have a complete comprehension of verse Romans chapter 1. Hang with me, okay, on this. For a pure-hearted person, no rock, no tree, no good deed, no sunset or cloud escapes you. And for every beautiful sunset and for every beautiful sunrise, you thank God because you see he is the creator and you're part of the creation and you recognize that God has put things out there and it testifies of his existence. That's a pure-hearted person. You praise God for this. You're looking up. Philippians chapter 4 is your theme. Okay, You are walking in the fruit of the Spirit. You cheer at the things of Galatians chapter 5. You rejoice at 1 Corinthians 13. They are your filters for life. You choose to love people. And daily in verse 8, God is touching your heart and you see Christophanes, appearances of Christ. Not in a literal sense, but just little things. You get jazzed when you find money in the parking lot. Saying, thank you, Lord. You know, I needed the extra pennies here. You know, but that's a pure hearted person where they just see God in the littlest things. And God is touching your heart with transfigurations. And you see God at work and you praise him for it. How can this be? Because your life, your life's perspective is not choked out by things and activities and the cares of the world. Sin, alarming politics and economics, those aren't on your radar. You know, some things I've noticed about, uh, I wish this wasn't going on YouTube, I can't say now. Let me just say, I've noticed some Christians in particular areas, they are so rattled, they are glued to their TVs or their radios you know, or the next text that's going to come to them about cares in the world. And they're just this nervous disorder and they are missing life, okay? The pure-hearted person, this isn't on their radar. You know, those things, yes, they pray about them. They do their citizen duty, they vote. And they say, Lord, I commit it to you. And they're so busy loving Jesus Christ. They're so busy loving others. They're so busy at giving life that those other things don't phase them. Winds of doctrine, wings of wealth, earthly treasures, reputation, trying to build your your own kingdom, you know, your own little dominion. Uh, No, the focus in verse 8 is heavenly things. The pure hearted are founded upon Jesus. They seek first His kingdom. And every time they get into the Word, every time they they have their personal devotion, their Bible study, or their worship time, they are sweet times of discovery. And you see God in His hand because the head is clear and it's undistracted. It's very difficult for God to work in a life and bless a life when our lives are so connected with things and so distracted in things of the world. I have a pretty cool Jeep back home. I have the coolest car in our church. I got a neat little Wrangler. It's a 2016. And it's got the best sound system that money can buy because my wife bought it for me. She knows what's good. But you know what? I don't play it most of the time because I just like the fellowship of the Lord and to be able to listen to Him. The greatest times I have with the Lord when the radio's off, when I don't have my iPad on, when I don't have my device on, and it's just me and Jesus because I want to be able to see him. We see a lot of people that are grieved, especially Christians. And I want to tell you, friends, our biggest ministry in this community in Tehachapi, I don't believe is just to the unsaved. I believe it's to other Christians that are freaking out. I need to applaud you today because you're breaking the law. You've come to church. You know, (laughs) you're in a gathering that's dangerous because you worship God. You're opening the word. You're in a small building. What is this, about 660 square feet perhaps? Maybe a little larger. Maybe about 1,200 square feet. I don't know. But I commend you for that. You're on target. Our ministry is to our believing brothers and sisters right now. And they don't need Christians that are all clouded and freaking out. They need you and your pure heart. That's what's going to get them blessed again. Because you know pure heart of Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 to 25 you've denied yourself you've taken up your cross and following Jesus and that's all that matters God bless you today you're an extremely blessed person if this virtue is yours now number seven in verse nine number seven in verse nine blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God happy are the peacemakers Somewhere in your blood type, spiritual blood type, somewhere in your DNA, if you are a peacemaker, is the heart of God. You're a person that intervenes when you see squabbles. You're a person that intervenes and immediately goes to prayer. And immediately, you're one that wants to be an interventionist to seek a middle ground where there's squabbles and conflict you are a person that probably plots nervously and you're grieved in your heart and unsettled when you see disputes, especially among Christians, okay? Peacemakers risk their necks like Joab. If you read in your Bible later on, 2 Samuel, I think it's chapter 13 and 14, Joab, one of David's generals, he was grieved because Absalom, David's son, was estranged from David, And so he gets this lady to dress up like a widow and she comes to David to appeal to make amends for David and his son Absalom. Really a sweet picture. The peacemaker seems to lie awake and the heart breaks at night because they know that something's amiss with relatives or friends or even in the body of Christ. The peacemaker sacrificially brings others together just like Barnabas did. You know, Barnabas was a great big man. Probably like a worship leader. Probably like Mike. I'm having trouble seeing over this thing. If I ever teach again, I want a phone book to stand on or a cinder block. Barnabas was quite a man. When Paul the Apostle got saved, I mean, he was a wildfire. And some of the the Jewish Christians were thinking, we don't want anything to do with this guy because he's a Christian eater. And so... Barnabas came alongside Paul and he told these Christians, he said, you know what? It's okay. Paul's really on our side. That's what a peacemaker does. It's the privilege of John chapter one, verse 12, that prompts us. We are children of God because of our belief in Jesus Christ. And they realize the effect can cause self-sacrifice. I don't doubt that some of you in this room are peacemakers and you've helped make peace with other people and it costs you a friendship but the people got together. I don't know if that ever happens to you. As for me, Philemon is a very good epistle if you ever want to read it. It's just one chapter, one book in your Bible, one epistle. And it's Paul the apostle. He writes to this master to take back this slave that became born again. It's a really good epistle. The peacemaker desires to live peaceably with all men. And in verse 9, notice the Lord has a special comment for you. He says, look at the second part of the verse. So they should be called the sons of God. The Lord has a special promise to the peacemaker. And he says, you're blessed and happy for designation's sake, because you are a child of God. You have grasped your duty as an ambassador in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. You know what it's all about. And you imitate your father in heaven and his son because of your disposition, wanting to make peace in John chapter 3, and reconcile. And you have an understanding of how terrible it is to be without reconciliation. And probably Isaiah 59, verse 2, haunts your heart. Isaiah 59, verse 2 teaches us that God can't look at sin. And He can't hear prayer, I believe, of the sinner. And those type of statements bother you when you think about a worldly person. The peacemaker totally comprehends... Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And you have a grasp of that. One day, you're going to be properly honored. Now, finally, and you notice that a pastor is usually lying when he says finally, right? You notice he's probably going to go another 20 minutes. Well, finally, look at verse 10 now. And this is number 8, and where we tidy it up. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that's a that's kind of a confusing verse isn't it your participation or your bend today if any one of those features are yours in verses 3 through 9 they could result in persecution in verses 10 through 12 it could happen and notice in verse 10 you'll be persecuted for doing what is good what is just what is right, what is proper, and what is decent. You're going to stand out. When you give others a fair shake and a square deal, that can bring you harassment, that can bring you smearing, and it can bring you badgering. But Jesus says, notice here in verse 10, like in verse 3, your heart should be gladdened because you've secured some pretty awesome real estate. It says yours is the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus qualifies this, and we need to look at verse 11 because it makes uh, verse 10 have the most optimum sense. It gives strength to the thought. Jesus said, notice in verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Jesus qualifies this being persecuted for being part of the Moose Lodge, for being part of Peta, for being part of the Elks Lodge, for being part of, um, you know, earth-friendly groups or Greenpeace. Jesus isn't speaking of that. He says here, when you're persecuted for His sake, that's what matters. And I have to pay the young gal here a compliment because you're a church. I mean, how few young people go to church anymore? I say, God bless you, miss. That's that's great. You're a good girl. I'd high-five you, but it's a little distance here. We have practiced social distancing. So across the room here, we'll just kind of do that but when people put the umbrella of evil with false and accurate observations against you okay no now it's been done with jesus credit he's your reason for the shining light good words and deeds and note your posture though in verse 12 and this is the gem of the section of verses 10 through 12 rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, your reward's going to be great in heaven for getting persecuted for Christ's sake. And he says to substantially, hugely, rejoice for grand proportions. But you want to notice something here. There's a designation sake. You take your, When you're persecuted for Christ's sake, you get in line with a league of very prestigious people, prophets in the Scripture, that gave their necks for their faith. A very distinguished league of predecessors. And their fate was yours. If you go to the first century, the book of Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says those early disciples, they counted themselves blessed and they were happy to be persecuted for His sake. And they felt unworthy. I would tell you ladies and gentlemen today, that are born again, this world is not worthy of you. One day, when you're gone, it's going to leave a terrible void. There's going to be a terrible absence here when you're gone. And those people, when they die, when they, go, when they go to the hot place, when they go to hell, they're going to remember your sweet face and your witness and your testimony to them and you telling them about Jesus Christ. And when they badgered you, when you get to heaven, you're going to be with a league of people that are just incredible. Okay? The world is not worthy of you today. Your league is prestigious. Consider Jeremiah in chapter 20 verse 2. The Bible tells us that he was slapped and he was put in a public square in stocks for people to view. How shameful is that? You're in a league when you're persecuted for Christ's sake. According to 2nd Chronicles chapter 24 verse 21, Zechariah, God's messenger, He endured conspiracy and they executed him right in the court of God's house. So persecution denotes and connotates that your citizenship is elsewhere. My appeal to you today is don't shame yourself if these virtues are found in you because God loves them and God says they're good things. The next thing is maintain your witness, even if the world shames you. Don't any of you dare quit today, okay? Don't you give up because God has not given up on you. How many of you know for a fact that your name has been taken out of the book of life? Anybody here? You know for a fact that God has fired you from being a Christian. Nobody here? You stay on duty. We will have no quitters today on Sunday, November 15th. You stay in the ring. You keep that devil on the ropes. Keep him bloody. You let him know that he's picked on the wrong one Because you love Jesus Christ. And don't discount, don't diminish your effect on this world. You are affecting people. Maybe not so much by your words, but by your actions. And people need that light. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And lights don't make a whole lot of noise, do they? We've not had to tell these lights today. You know, we want to worship. We're trying to listen to the message. Lights don't make noise, okay? Lights shine in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. So you keep it up, okay? No quitters. We don't have a sign-up sheet in the back for quitters, do we? Okay, good. All right. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. It's good to see you today, ladies and gentlemen. We don't have time to fiddle around this afternoon. We got work to do, don't we? Kingdom work, and it's good work. It pays great, there's eternal benefits. You know, we'll, we'll enjoy that up in heaven. God be with you. Father, I need your touch today. And this world's kind of beating me up. And it could be maybe even I've done it to myself. I've got myself in this place. And Lord, I need your help right now. I need your strong hand to come down and get a hold of me and set me back upright because I'm taking a beating. And Lord, this load's way too heavy. And it's too lonely. And I'm tired of hiding this thing. And I just lay it out before you. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me my sins if I've committed any. And Lord, I pray that you receive me anew, and that you baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I need your power today. I need your power to live life. I need your power to shine. And Lord, I'm honestly sorry about what I've done. And I know, Lord, there's forgiveness with you. And it's been awful lonely away from you. And I just lay it before you right now and ask that, oh, you'd forgive me. I could have a restart today. Thanks, Lord, for hearing me. It's good to be home. It's good to be back on right terms with you. Touch my life. Thanks, God, for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Email us at podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to California.